several years ago, Sherilyn and I were at a family reunion for, for her side of the family up in Canada, and we were at a place where um, her, her mom and, and aunts have a, a house on Clearwater Lake, and it is just a beautiful, beautiful area. Well, we were going from one side of the lake to the other side of the lake in this little teeny boat, and, um, you know, I mean, we weren't out on the open seas or anything like that, but even in a lake that's a, a, a large lake, you know, um, as lakes can go, probably medium size, and uh, and even getting out there on the lake, you know, the, the waves can get to a little bit of a decent size. Again, I don't want to over-exaggerate what was going on, but we were in this little teeny boat, and sometimes, you know, you're just like, hey, I know this thing's not going to tip over, but... I'm um, not feeling as settled as when we first set out and we're 100 feet, feet from shore, you know. And then once you're out in the middle of the lake, I mean, you either have to turn around and go the whole distance or you just keep going. You know how that goes? Um, similarly, when I was uh, in high school, I went on a, a deep sea fishing trip with my dad, which was one of the worst experiences of my life. Um, not because of my dad, but uh, I get motion sick. And so it was sort of like, oh, you're in a big enough boat. Once you get out there, you don't really feel it. And I'm like, yeah, no, I won't even go on a cruise right now. Uh, it doesn't matter how big the boat is. I just get motion sick and it just doesn't work well for me. But you know, there's a difference between the waves on a lake like that and the size boat you're in there compared to when you're out on the open uh, deep sea and you, and you go away from shore for five hours before you start fishing. And you know you're in a boat that can handle it, and you believe that you've got a captain that can handle it, um, and and you're prepared for uh, whatever the normal kind of circumstances of being out on the seas would bring, because of the size boat that you're in, right? If I were to go out into the open seas on that same boat that we had in Clearwater Lake in Canada. Uh, five hours out into the ocean. I wouldn't even make it five hours out into the ocean. The boat would be toppled. I'd be clinging on for dear life, and it just wouldn't be a good situation. The same is true when we think about the massive turbulent waves that we face in our culture today. And it is imperative that the Christian, that the follower of Jesus, is developing your discernment so that you have a larger boat of discernment, if you will, than than a small little teeny boat of discernment. You you need to have your discernment trained by testing. You need to know and be confident that what God gives you in his word and helps you understand through the power of his Holy Spirit will sustain you so that you're not tempted to jump from the boat of Christian faith into another boat that seems like it's presenting a better option for your understanding of how this world works. The American church, the Christian church, dear friends, needs to develop her spiritual discernment. And John knew this when he is writing to uh, his children who were in Ephesus at this time. And he knows what's going on in this time frame, obviously. And so the need is not a new need. It is not a new need that we develop our discernment. It has been uh, since Adam and Eve were in the garden and were deceived by the enemy, by Satan, Ever since then, we've needed to develop our powers of discernment. But it seems much easier to read a blog or uh, an article or listen to someone's sermon, which if it's a good sermon can be helpful for you. But at the end of the day, every individual Christian is responsible to grow in their understanding of the Word of God and how the Word of God speaks to every issue that you will face. 
So we'll read together 1 John 4, 1 through 6. 1 John 4, 1 through 6. Read with me now. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, and therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Pray with me one more time. Father, as we read this uh, encouraging and challenging passage of Scripture, would you give us understanding to train our discernment at whatever level our discernment currently is? Would you help us be able to go one step further? Lord, as I proclaim the text that you've put before us here today, I ask for your help in doing so in a way that's honoring to you, truthful, clear, and helpful. And we pray that in our learning, in our reading, in our hearing, in our preaching, that you be glorified in all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Followers of Christ, friends, must be discerning, able to distinguish truth from error. There are a myriad of of purported truths, things that set themselves up to be true solutions for your life or true solutions for how to best uh, govern our world or Uh, respond to certain challenges in society. There are many answers that are uh, purported to be truth. But if they are not in line with the word of God, they are false. Don't hear unhelpful, hear catastrophic. Don't hear, oh, it's just another idea that works just as well as the Bible. No. If it is not in line with the word of God, the principles that we need to navigate this world, it is Uh, disastrous and catastrophic to who we are as people, who we are as a society. And believers are commanded. Now, you've heard me in recent weeks uh, draw a distinction between imperatives and indicatives. Remember, indicatives are truth statements. Now, I just want to teach us, like, this is free right here. Um, uh, Indicatives are things that are, I've been using the word very casually, and I've been saying an indicative is a truth statement. I want to clarify that one level deeper, okay? An indicative is something that is purported to be a truth statement. It can actually be false. Now, I'm not talking about imperatives in the Bible, okay? Uh, But someone can give you their understanding of a statement of reality, and it is, grammatically speaking, an indicative, but it can actually be false. People all around you are giving you indicative statements. If you'll just do this, this will happen and this will work. But it's false, but it's still an indicative. I don't want to get too far into that, but as uh, I think one of my goals in preaching is to help you understand certain aspects about studying the Word and, and preaching the Word. We see here, right at the beginning here, do not believe every spirit. That's an imperative. It's a negative command. 
but test the spirits to see what is from God and what is not, right? We are to test the spirits. That is a command that you and I are to obey. Now, it certainly is a command for the leadership of your church in particular to understand and to grow in, but it is a command for every believer, okay? He's not just writing to the leader of this church here. You here is plural, Uh, He's writing to, really, second person plural, he's writing here to help every Christian understand that it is our job to test the spirits. And it's essential for followers of Christ because Satan and his forces, his minions, if you will, are already at work in the world around us. Uh, In the last couple of years, we've heard a lot of different uh, things about what's essential, what's not essential. What businesses are essential? What businesses are not? What workers are essential and what workers are not? And uh, I will resist the urge to get into those waters at the moment, except just to say, sometimes as a church or as church members, we place a wrong priority on what is essential and what is not. Spiritual discernment is essential. Sometimes we put the focus on having church in such a way that everybody is welcome and nobody feels bad when they come to church. Well, we are to be welcoming. We are to be aware that there are those who might come into our midst and worship with us that are not born again. They're lost. And so we don't want to just shake our finger at them No, we want to preach the word. But we also need to understand that at times, the word of God brings a separation, a division. And so the American church over the the years has watered down the gospel to, and I think unintentionally in large part, doesn't change the end result, present something that people can receive without feeling badly about themselves. The problem is that the good news is not actually good news until somebody is mourning over their sin and in realization that they need a savior. They don't need a friend. They don't need support. They don't need help. They need to be made alive. And the Christian gospel is the only gospel that presents the hard realities in pair with the beautiful answer that Jesus came to save sinners. And we need to recover the doctrine of spiritual discernment. I should say the discipline of spiritual discernment. How do we hear what somebody is saying about how to, if you will, solve problems in our culture and ask the question whether or not it aligns with what God identifies as the real root problem? Or if some other aspect of life and sociology is being identified as the problem when it's actually not the main problem. It's a symptom of an underlying greater problem. We need spiritual discernment to be able to listen to the news or read the news or hear your neighbor or your coworker talk about life and present a solution and be able to hear that and discern, which means to rightly distinguish what is true And what is false? 
We live in a world of continuums. Everything's a sliding scale, right? I remember I had a friend when I lived in New Jersey uh, who was a math teacher, and um, she came home from a, a training, and in that training, they, they switched. I don't know what they do now in schools, but they switched from using red ink to some other color of ink, green, or something that was more positive feeling when people saw the marks on their page. Rather than writing minus five, it's plus 95. Same facts, different presentation to try to beef up the ego of children in our society. We dare not say something that would be hard for someone to hear. Now, I would be remiss to say, I'm sure there's more to it than my oversimplified explanation of it. I just want to make the point that our society is tooling, retooling things in order to try to make us feel better. When Braden was hmm, four, forehead, when Braden was three, something like that, he was young, two. How old was he? 18 months. It's a bad day for me. Can I come have lunch with somebody today? Uh, Braden was young, and he fell, and he hit his head on a, um, on a door hinge. And uh, like right square in the middle, like you can all go, Braden, I'm going to set you up for after church. He's got hair over it now, but you can go up and be like, oh, let me see your scar, right? Uh, girls would spend their lives trying to cover it up. Guys are like, oh, I got a scar, you know? Uh, but anyway, um, he was bleeding all over the place, and Sherilyn had, Sherilyn had him at the hospital, and so we came and, and met him, and we're doing this whole thing. Well, anyway, all of this to say, this is going somewhere. They had to stitch his forehead, and if you know anything about stitching anyone, right, there are many adults that are afraid of needles, let alone trying to ask a, a pained 18-month-old, now, I need you to do me a favor, and I need you to be real still. Okay, now I'm just going to put this needle through your forehead, and it's going to like come out on the other. Some of you are like squeamish just hearing this. It's going to come out on the other side, and we're just going to do that about, you know, eight or ten times, and you'll be all good. Gotcha. No, they put him in this papoose, which is basically a big piece of Velcro that immobilizes them. It's terrible, and it's wonderful. It is, because they don't come out looking like Frankenstein. If you look, it's a pretty good stitch job on his forehead. Now I forgot where I was going with this. <laughs> they put this papoose on him, and he's looking at you and screaming his guts out and looking at you like, I thought you were on my side. And you're just saying... You don't have anything to say. You can't hold his hand because it's at his side and it's not long enough to come out the other side of the papoose, right? Sometimes we're telling people, listen, you, you, you've got to hear this news and you've got to stay with me through it to understand and get to the other side to realize it is good news. 
I need to bring you some hard truths. I need to put you in a, a spiritual papoose, if you will, for a few minutes so that I can talk with you about what God says about your soul and about what the real challenges are in life. Because if we don't wrap you up and tie you still momentarily, we're never going to be able to get to the meat of the issue, the real heart of the problem. Sometimes the church would rather focus on being lovingly truthful and leaving the results to the Lord. The church would rather focus on affirming one's sense of self, however they perceive it, rather than allowing the wisdom from the word with the gentleness of Christ. And at times, as I was just kind of talking about, this jolting truth, communicate uh, the reality a person needs to hear. Some people even vie for the unity of the church. We all need to be united. We need to get rid of all denominations, and we all just need to be together in one group. Well, then we end up with unity for the sake of unity, and no discernment whatsoever in practical matters of how we believe God has called us to do church. And so John is speaking a very strong truth when he says, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Don't believe every spirit. Brothers and sisters, one thing that we see in this truth, okay, is not that there's a continuum John is presenting. And you try to figure out where you are on the, tr- on, the, on the side of truth, on this continuum of truth. No, there's truth and there's error. I know not everything is black and white, but just hang with me in the world of black and white this morning. There's truth and there's error. We know the truth by looking at the word of God. Just because something sounds good doesn't mean we ought to believe it. We cannot believe everything that's presented to us as truth. We can't believe every indicative that someone communicates to us because they're not all true. We must be discerning. I want to go a step further and just talk about this idea of just kind of mysticism, right? Sometimes we, we seek communication from the Lord in ways that are different than how the Bible tells us that we are to uh, communicate with the Lord. We think about prayer. Some folks will tell you to pray and spend lots of time in silence and solitude hearing from the Lord. Some people would go so far as to say hearing audible voices from the Lord. Now, I'm not going to deny that the Holy Spirit who lives within us leads us at times. But brothers and sisters, everything is so subjective to our understanding of things that the only content... The only determiner of truth that we can have 100% confidence in is the Word of God. And I would go so far as to say a right understanding of the particular passage that you're looking at in its context to its original audience and how that applies to us today. We must know the Word if we're to have any hope of being discerning. If you are going to find yourself, and you will, and are, in an ocean of waves, you do not want to be in a little teeny boat that can capsize at any moment. You want to be in a boat large enough, a ship large enough that's designed to break waves, that's designed to to ride waves and not capsize and not take on too much water that it sinks. And the word of God is that 
proverbial ship, if you will. We need to know the Word of God so that we can understand it rightly. Now, I will tell you, this is, this is encouraging for some of you. It's challenging for some of you. Us, some of us. It's challenging because if you have a sensitive conscience to the Holy Spirit, you may already be thinking right now, oh, but I'm, I'm okay, fine, I haven't been doing that for, from whatever point in my walk with the Lord up until now, or I'm a, I'm a newer believer and I feel like I just have so much to learn. I just can't learn it all in a week, a month, a year. You know what? That's right. That's right. You can't. The Lord does not have an expectation of you that is greater than what you have of yourself. I mean, when you're thinking rightly about these things. The Lord speaks to you, his child, and says, Today, worship me with what you know and with what you're learning and begin to put it into practice. In other words, if you take this challenge from John in this epistle of John and you go home today, tomorrow, this week, and you just begin to say, Lord, I need my, my powers of discernment sharpened. I need to grow in the knowledge of your word. Will you help me in that? He will always say yes. But the second thing you need to be doing is you must be connected to a more mature believer than you are. Maturity is not a good or bad thing here. Nobody would expect an 18-month-old to lay down on that hospital bed in the emergency room and be like, oh, okay, I got this. I'll just be, no, I don't need that thing. I'll just be quiet. I'll just lay here. You just let me know when you're done. It would never happen. It's not supposed to happen. You're not supposed to be a Christian for two months, three months, or even a year and know how to apply all of these things. You're supposed to be a baby Christian that's growing by spiritual milk a little bit at a time and going from spiritual milk to to spiritual soft foods and from soft foods to soft solids. And then you go on and you grow in your maturity and your understanding of the word, having your powers of discernment sharpened by testing. And you know what happens with tests? You get some wrong. You get some wrong. I get a lot of things wrong on tests. I feel like in life. But you know what? God is faithful to help us learn and grow through what he's teaching us. We, we often live too much like orphans who are just constantly living to, to live for the approval of our father. When he says, just walk with me, just enjoy the ride of this relationship and you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, but take heart, I've won it all. Just walk with me, just fellowship with me. Now, now put in the spiritual sweat. Let's get after it. Why? so that you can enjoy this relationship so much more. Because the more we understand about God and how God works with his people, the more fruit and enjoyment we have in our relationship with him. Sometimes you're at a place where somebody comes along and and asks you for some help, and you say, oh, I'm not ready for that. You just need to be a step or two further ahead than someone to be able to help them in their walk with the Lord. Because nobody's arrived. Nobody's arrived. The day as a pastor that I am not gleaning from the wisdom of those who are more mature than I am in their walk with the Lord, 
their knowledge of the scriptures and how to use the spiritual gifts that God has given them to the best of their ability is the day I need to hang it up. The day that my life is off limits to other people to come and ask questions about my personal habits or my relationship with the Lord or my relationship with Sherilyn or Braden or Skylar. The day that an area of my life is closed off to being um, inspected, if you will, is the day I need to hang it up. And that ought to be true of every Christian. That ought to be true of every Christian. Everything that we need for decision-making and understanding the circumstances and what's presented to us is revealed in the Word of God. Sometimes it's very specifically. Sometimes it's categorically. And there's a lot of freedom for decision-making in the Christian life. But our challenge is to develop our knowledge of the Word a little at a time through consistent, regular study and use. Because let's just be honest, if you don't use it, like I can watch videos all day long about how to throw a football. If you're right-handed, how do you throw a football with your left hand? I can watch videos about that all day. If I don't ever get out there and throw the football with my left hand, my left arm, right, that first throw still going to feel super awkward. But it's not until my muscle memory is trained through repetition that I'm able to put those things into practice. And so our goal is two overarching reasons why we must seek the Lord through his word in this way. To glorify God by worshiping and chime in his word. Don't ever make the means or the goal something different than worshiping and glorifying God. Rearranging your priorities and your time, it's worship. God, you are worth my rearranging everything to get my priorities in line with what you say they need to be. That's worship. Oh, I didn't do it right this week. Okay, get up and get after it again. Just follow the Lord. Just strive. Secondly, we need to be able to know, in order to know whether we should listen to one who says they bring God's truth. Right? We need to be able to confirm that what they say is either true or false according to the Bible. True or false according to the Bible. The, the, the illustrations I gave you from math earlier, part of what makes them so hilarious is Teaching teachers to say something, and if you're an actual teacher, and this is just an illustration from a friend like 15 years ago, so teaching them to say something like, you know what, that's a great answer, but I'm looking for something else, right? Okay, history, maybe, right? Other subjects, maybe. Last time I checked, math was right or wrong, right? You got this problem right. You got this problem wrong. There are many things in this world, friends, that are right or wrong. And we need to be able to perceive that through testing and through discerning. So we have to apply doctrinal tests. This is, this is why we have to apply doctrinal tests to the things that we hear. This is why Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, which means set apart and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, it's the same word. By testing, you may be able, or you may discern, or that means you may distinguish between, 
What is the will of God? What is good and perfect and acceptable? And that's part of that being transformed by the renewing of our mind is a testing process. Being able to understand this. John and Paul, they're using the same word here. It, it refers to the approval or the rejection on the basis of a test. So what's the test? God's word. God's word. We ought to be able to take anything that we hear from society. I realize under, under th- some things are more complex. I do realize that some things are nuanced. But be careful, brothers and sisters, when nuance begins to take the place of what God says is right and what God says is wrong. Nuance usually affects how we go about something more than what decisions we make or how we understand things to be true. Well, why? Well, the end of verse 1 tells us many false prophets have gone out into the world and we need to be able to know the difference between who's of the Spirit of the Lord and who is of the Spirit of of this age. Let me tell you, friends, I see people all the time who are just in the middle of the ocean being tossed, like they're just wearing a life preserver in the middle of uh, of the ocean with 30-foot swells. You'll never survive in a life preserver. And yet I see people being beaten and battered by the lies of culture, and they're so confused why it won't work. And we say something like, well, let me help you get in the Word of God. Well, I just don't really have time. Okay, let's just call it what it is. I don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to put in the work. I I don't know what it is for you. But this is what God is calling us to in order to be able to be in the right ship So that we're not, as Paul has says, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and human deceit. And so he begins to give us the answer in verses 2 and 3. The true confession, Jesus is God incarnate. That that has two aspects to it. Number one, Jesus is God and God is flesh in the person of Jesus. For us nowadays... Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, or Mormons, for example, or, or other religions will argue against Jesus being God. That's what they tend to have the hardest time with. In John's day, they had a hardest, the hardest time believing and affirming that God was flesh. And I mean, that's what John's writing out of here. That's what John is trying to help this church see, as we saw early, earlier in, in, in 1 John. So a a, a Christian's true confession must be both. Jesus is God and Jesus is man. Because both his deity and his humanity are, listen friends, essential to our salvation. If Jesus is not God, he cannot live a sinless life. If Jesus is not man, he cannot go before us to be the sin sacrifice of the perfect, spotless lamb who never sinned and willingly obeyed the will of the Father and gave himself on Calvary for you and for me. Christianity is the only reason, I mean the only religion, where God identifies the problem and solves the problem. But it's not just about knowing the facts of it. We must acknowledge it. We must believe it, that it's true of us. And so this is the test of a false doctrine or a false teacher. 
Secondly, the spirit of the Antichrist denies the true Jesus as the Bible reveals him. The spirit of the Antichrist denies the true Jesus as the Bible reveals him. Now, we've talked about two aspects of who Jesus is this morning, but there are many more things the Bible says about the Lord. And the spirit of the Antichrist denies these things. It purports something else to be true and denies what the Bible says. John, Jonathan Edwards, in, in his uh, Distinguishing Marks of a work of the Spirit of God, says this, talking about 1 John 4. All true works of God show, share several features. A high esteem for Christ, the overthrow of Satan's kingdom in our hearts, a reverent view, a reverent view of and close attention to God's Word in Scripture, and the presence of the Spirit of truth convincing us of the reality of eternity and the depth of our sin and need and a deep love for both God and man. So, so far we've seen that, that the call to, the call to uh, Christian spiritual discernment and why it's important that we develop this discernment and that it must be a priority for us. But we've also seen that we need to be on the lookout for a true confession that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And now in closing, John turns to comforting his beloved little children. He starts with beloved my dear ones. And now he says, little children. He's bringing strong truth accompanied by a package of relationship that says, my little children. Brothers and sisters, this is an aside, but when we talk with other people about hard things in their life, we come, we come with an attitude that says, brother, sister, I know who we are. And the context of relationship sets up the ability to have more difficult conversations. So thirdly, those who are far from God speak, I'm sorry, those who are from God speak and listen to that which has been given from God, which is revealed in the Bible. And we see this in verses four through six. This is cause for great confidence. We don't need to wonder if do we have what we need to understand how to live in these confusing times in the word of God. Is the Bible, this ancient book, written by however many authors and over however many years still applies to our lives today. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. This is the word of God, which he superintended as he authored the Bible himself and dual authorship worked through the lives, the real lives, the real personalities, the real pen strokes of those who wrote the Bible, who put pen to paper. And so there are three confidence-infusing realities that John addresses here. I'm really just going to state them. One, that Christians are from God. I know, don't, don't let that reality seem like it's not important because we know this. He says, little children, you are from God, and you've overcome them. Christian, look here. The power of the Holy Spirit at work and alive in your soul on the basis and the authority of Jesus's overcoming or being resurrected, God overcoming sin, death, hell, and the grave means that you have overcome the world. They may take your body, but they kill not, cannot steal your soul. They may burn us at the stake as have thousands of believers before us. 
but they cannot steal your gift of eternal life that you are given from God. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit in Christians is greater than the spirit of this age and the world. And God gave His Spirit to live in you, to indwell you, and to teach you. When, when Jesus is talking to His disciples about, about leaving and, and, and the fact that He needs to leave so that He can send the Holy Spirit, He says that He, wants to send, he needs to send the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. And like magnets, the spirit inside of us, when we hear Christian truth, is magnetized, is drawn to that truth. I've met, I've met Christians around the world. I've met Christians locally that I've never met before. I've met Christians in different states. And it is uncanny. It is supernatural what instant of a connection you can have with another believer whose spirit inside of you connects with their spirit. And I'm not talking about some weird way. You just begin talking about and affirming truth. And your soul says, yes, that's right. That's right. That's right. And we need to cling to it. But then there's a contrast here. Those who don't affirm biblical truth concerning the deity and humanity of Jesus are not from God. And it's important to understand, again, this is not a continuum. Sometimes we use the phrase real Christians or true Christians. I'm just going to say you're Christian or you're not a Christian. There's not a continuum. Now, sometimes there is uh, a process of people growing to understand the word or understanding some things about how God works. But there is in every soul a moment in time when you are brought from death to life, transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's not a continuum. That's from death to life. And so these who don't affirm biblical truth are from the world and they speak from the world and those who are from the world listen to them. Now key in with me here as we wrap it up here, okay? We, we can't ever adjust the message of Christ to accommodate the message of the world. We cannot ever adjust the message of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be more conducive to being accepted in society. Now that's not the same as saying to someone who's just really un unkind and unloving in, in their communication of the truth. Well, they just won't listen to me because they're not from God. Well, no, you're a jerk. I know, I tell my kids, don't say that. I'm just trying to make a point. We can be incredibly unloving to one another, to others that we try to communicate with. We need to remember that the very same reason that we have a passion to communicate this message is not because we're better than anyone. We're beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. That's it. We weep for those who don't know the Lord Jesus. And so he closes here by saying, uh, whoever knows God listens to us. Now, who's us? The prophets and the apostles. What is that? The word of God. I would not dare as a pastor to say, whoever knows God listens to me. 
And if I do, fire me. No, I'm not kidding. Fire me. The only, when I was in a seminary preaching class, my professor was talking about us um, uh, being the voice of God as we communicate his truth. And so he asked the question something like, Are we ever speaking with the same authority of God when we preach? And someone in our class said, when we get it right. In other words, if I proclaim or someone else in our church proclaims the word of God, understood rightly in its original context, communicated with a similar tone as the Lord does in his word. That's why sometimes the tone is stronger. Sometimes the tone is softer. Why? What's the tone of the text? Tone of the text affects the tone of the message. And when we preach in that way, when we proclaim, when we herald the word in that way, we speak with the authority of God, not as God to be sure. But we proclaim what the apostles proclaim. There is one foundation that God is building his church upon. And it's the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So whoever knows God listens to us insofar as we proclaim this truth rightly. Revelation 22, 18 and 19 says, I warn everyone, this is also John writing, I warn everyone who hears the words of my prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. So after the time of Ezra and Nehemiah in the the Old Testament, that canon was closed for 400 years till John the Baptist comes back on the scene. And God began to re-enliven this kind of communication to his people. And that raises a really important question here. How can we listen to the apostles when they've been dead for 2,000 years? Or more than, about 2,000 years. And I love Pastor Tabidi uh, Anyubile, and he says, through a certain kind of preaching, the preaching that takes the apostles' words, explains the words, and applies their words is the same kind of preaching that enables us to listen to them today. We call this expositional preaching because expositional, it exposes what the apostles have written and the meaning and application of their words. When you listen to the word of God expositionally preached, you are listening to the apostles and ultimately you are listening to God himself. False teachers abound, friends. And those who listen to their teaching will stick around for a while and then They'll fall out of the church. They'll fall away. They'll, they'll come in for a time, and then they'll just leave. Maybe they'll come in for a time, and they'll stir up trouble, confuse a bunch of people, and then leave. That's what's happening here in First John. One pastor sums it up quite well this way. The Bible says he is God, but they wander away, and they deny his eternal deity. The Bible says he is sinless, but they wander away and say that he sinned or at least committed some small minor error. The Bible says he did miracles, but they wander away and they say these are myths and fables. The Bible says he is the only Savior, but they wander away and they say that he is only a Savior. The Bible says he died on a cross for our sins, but they wander away and they deny penal substitution and they call it cosmic child abuse. 
The Bible says he rose bodily from the dead, but they wander away by saying that the disciples just imagined that he did. The Bible says he ascended into heaven as Lord, but they wander away and they say this is just another myth concocted to make the church live on a little bit longer. The Bible says he is coming again, but they wander away and they just say it's just a pop Christian fad. Fiction. This is why Christology or the doctrine of Christ is so vital for you and I to know and to know well. If you're bored with theology, and let me just back up for a minute here and just say, not everyone has the same level of maybe understanding or desire to press into things in this way. And so I understand that, except I want to say, if you're bored by theology altogether, you need to pray, Lord, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my ways. And see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Brothers and sisters, God has given us a book. Theology Theologist means a study of God knowing the things of God. Martin Luther said, it does no good to say, I will gladly confess Christ in his word and all the articles except one or two, which my tyrannical masters will not tolerate. This is Daniel. Same idea as Daniel. But he who denies Christ in one or two word in this one article deny the same Christ who would be denied in all articles. For they are about, there, there is but one Christ in all his words, collectively and individually. The battle is raging for our hearts. And we have an enemy who will be very glad for us not to outright deny Christ, but to be content not to be discerning and be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Armor up. Stand in the strength which God supplies so that after having done all, we can stand.